gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Welcome to the show everybody, my name is Chris Murray and this is Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I wanted to do that for absolutely ages. Our main show retain panel get together once a week to debate, deride and destroy a topic of our choice. And this week is absolutely no different. We are going to be diving into the ever-challenging and ever-changing theme of gimmick revitalizations and talking all about some of the best and worst character changes in the wonderful world of wrestling. Just before I introduce tonight's panel, I am contractually obliged to inform you where you can find us on the internet. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Suplex Retweet. We are on Facebook. Simply search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. You can also check out our YouTube channel via Suplex Retweet. As yet unnamed panel member to my right, what's going on over on YouTube? Well, we have content such as our ESSR Fantasy Draft Season 4 picks, our live draft, where for the upcoming season we, we chose all of our team for the upcoming season. Of course, you are currently listening via our main show feed, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, Android, and all good podcasting sites. But have you checked out our new extra feed? This is where all of our bonus shows are kept, including the world-famous Monday Night Rewind with myself and Nathan Fisher, amongst other great podcasts. <laughs> you just got to put yourself over, don't you? Don't worry, team. You can plug all your own shows before the end of the show. Just search Suplex Retweet Extra in all the usual places and you'll find all of our beautiful, beautiful audio. We also have a website, but since I've never been on it, I don't expect any of you to do so either. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Check out our website for all of our written content, fantasy booking, and lots, lots more. Unnamed executive producer who is glaring at me to my left. Give me a quick plug of the URL. www.suplexretweet.com Excellent. So, as it's my first time hosting, I thought... And last. As it is my first time hosting, I thought we would spin our conventional intro on its head. Since this week's theme is character changes, I've asked the rest of the Suplex Retweet hosts, what would you change about tonight's panel members? Oh, no. <laughs> so, we will start with the man to my right. Some people have said that they should remove his Hollywood doppelganger face. Some people should would change the fact that he supports the dark side. Some would <laughs> get rid of his Jimmy Carr wannabe gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> Or change the fact that he's from air. Enough said. It's Jack! <laughs> Remember, I didn't write any of these. Who wrote this? <laughs> the truth shall be exposed. Anyway, we shall move on now. And I've got a man who, when I asked people to tell me what they would change about him, I basically thought we'd probably need a new podcast. People say they wish he didn't talk quite so much. People wished, wished he would get rid of his smugness and his dad shirts. Some people have mentioned that they would like to change his hosting ability, which is similar to that of Joseph Fritzel, only this time Fritzel wants you out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and of Best course, shoe ever. <laughs> and of course, they wish he hadn't completed Tinder, so he still had something to play with other than his. It's David. <laughs> oh my God! Who, who literally came up with that? I'm, I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> Stars we need to go. <laughs> oh, I can't even speak. That's just, that's just mental. Mission accomplished. <laughs> also joining us on the show, we have a man who some people have said they wish he had a girlfriend, so everyone else stood a chance in quizzes. And just like the Undertaker, they desperately wish he would step out the shadow of his brother. <laughs> <laughs> also, one other member of the show who shall not be named even mentioned. My mum says she wouldn't change him for the world. I would honestly swap him to make change for the bus. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's Scott. Welcome to the show, Scott. I mean, I'm the only person here who doesn't need to ask who came up with mine, so... <laughs> I've already deduced that mystery. And this next man, he largely got away lightly from this panel because he's relatively new, so there's no massive changes required to him. However, you do not get off so lightly. So just for you, we have a very special guest Intro. <clears throat> On this week's episode, we are also joined by someone who is very much in favour of tackling the climate crisis. So much so, he constantly recycles his own jokes. It's the, <laughs> <laughs> the joke-flipping, nugget-dipping, guitar-strumming, staircase-bumping le champion of a galaxy far, far away, it's Daniel. <laughs> I know exactly who wrote that and Pamela how dare you? <laughs> oh my god. She messaged me earlier on just like, what do you, you call yourself again? I'm like, well, champion of the girls far, far away. Okay, just, I want to check what I was telling my mum. Was she? <laughs> When's the wedding again? Um, the 31st of February now. <laughs> <laughs> we still have the party to come up on blooming March 13th, so Jesus Christ. There we go. Cheap plug for the party. Fuck. Oh, I'll go for it. And last but very much not least, some have said they wish he wore more Nike. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please give me the name and address of that person's house and murder them? Others have said they would change his get up altogether as he looks like he was dressed by Stevie Wonder in the dark. They even said, I wish he knew how to leave a show without spending 20 fucking minutes sucking up to the wrestlers. It's the executive producer himself, Quagmuaji! <laughs> I didn't write them, I didn't I write them. I know who wrote that one. I'm just more affected by the like, but, but fair enough. <laughs> we also have an intro for strike. Anyway, on with the show. Uh, <laughs> I want names. <laughs> at least your, your blonde fiance didn't do this to you. <laughs> well. Thank God I'm the only person who is not responsible. Uh, so yes, as I said, this show is all about gimmick changes and character revitalizations. Now, I feel we should clarify. Tonight's show isn't gonna be so much about heel turns because we did a show in the past that was all about heel turns. We don't wanna to tread too much on that show. So it's gotta be a distinct character change. And over the course of the show, I'm gonna be thrown over to my panelists to put forward their favorite uh, character changes and then in the second half of the show we're also going to be throwing it to our panel to give us their least favorite or just straight up absolute worst we're going to have some mentions from wwe and elsewhere as well but before we dive into all that i figured we have to start with what i feel is some of the biggest and most relevant now i love a gimmick change i love all of the terrible ones from 1995 
as you'll hear over on the Monday Night Rewind with me, Nathan. Um, <laughs> so, but what I thought we'd do is start with those ones which I feel are the biggest and most relevant. Now, there is a famous WCW event, Bash at the Beach, where <laughs> a famous line was uttered. But whose side is he on? But that's not what I want to talk about because that line has been uttered so, so, so many times. But I thought we would start with one of the most obvious changes basically in wrestling history and probably changed the game for good. And that is the change from Hulkamania era Hulk Hogan to NWO Hollywood Hogan, which was, I don't know, I would argue it's probably the most extreme change that's happened in wrestling, especially at that time, and pretty much changed the course of wrestling forever. Now, I know some of you are old school fans, some of you are slightly more new school fans, so we're going a bit old school just now. Uh, I think I want to come to Scott on this first because I know that you are an old school fan much like me and I know that you've seen this clip of Hulk Hogan's turn against I think Randy Savage specifically first when he Mm -hmm. drops the leg on him the leg drop heard around the world (laughs) drops the leg on Randy Savage as he would to his career many times over the years (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean if you really want to get deep into it in real life Hogan really has been a heel his entire career but we're not here to talk about this here but yeah, I think even if you were starting to get st- sick of Hogan and how stale the kind of Hulkamania character was becoming in the mid-90s and how it was so different from the old southern WCW kind of feel that most hardcore fans came up with, it was still a shock to see that, my god, they've actually done it. Like, the embodiment of, like, a good guy in wrestling is completely flipped and he started that classic tradition of, you're a bad guy, now you must wear black and nothing other. The only colour you wear is black, maybe a bit of white in there, but that's all you wear, that symbolises you're a villain. Now the interesting thing was as well, it wasn't just Hogan's appearance with his dyed beard that changed. <laughs> his whole physique was changing at the time because he just came off the roids, allegedly. Um, so everything everything <laughs> about him changed. So that's, that's basically meant for like a whole new wrestler that suddenly appeared and basically went on to rule the roost in WCW for another six years or so. Now I know that some of the rest of you guys that are in the room just now, you probably haven't watched wrestling, uh, weren't watching wrestling at the time, I know I wasn't, but we've all seen the clips over and over again. So as like more modern wrestling fans to the other three guys in the room, um, what was what was your sort of thoughts on that? I think the um, what I enjoyed the most about it, this was when I sort of started paying attention to wrestling, but I wasn't watching it on a regular basis. Like, cause I remember one of the first uh, times I got involved where we're, we had action figures of Sting and Hollywood Hogan, like I never knew him as Hulk Hogan prior to that. But it's definitely more the cultural impact he had with that character change. So it wasn't just a, a change for his gimmick, you know, the fact that he was this white meat baby face for, for years almost. And the fact that he's jumped ship to a different company and he's gone through this development, it put WCW on the map, particularly in the Monday Night Wars. And we know when it launched the, the NWO as a whole, you know, it set the precedent for what would be WCW's golden goose for a good number of years. I think the and the fact that they got more more and more people involved in it and he was like the de facto leader as the Hollywood Hogan. I mean, it, I mean what, what more needs to be said? I mean, it was probably the biggest character development that led to the biggest cultural change in the wrestling world as a whole. Daniel, uh, would you paint yourself as a newer wrestling fan, older wrestling fan? And after you answer, tell me what you thought about the whole thing. I'd probably paint myself more newer. Like, it was... 2002, 2003 onwards I actually started watching wrestling and properly paying attention to it. Uh, the Hogan side of things with his turn at Bash of the Beach, it was even like even years later, the effect is still there. Like that is 
it's you know to quote some people undisputed <laughs> absolutely so the crazy thing is is this as you mentioned start the nwo and the nwo then started with for gimmick changes in WCW, you had uh, Diesel became Kevin Nash, Razor Ramon became Scott Hall, uh, uh, One Two Three Kid became Six. Well, Hogan was becoming slightly different Hogan. But over in the <laughs> WWF side of things, a few years later there would go on to be a pretty crazy gimmick change in itself, and it would be the man that would eventually turn the Monday Night War back in favour of the WWF. And I'm talking about the emergence as a character of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, I mean. Most people, when you talk about wrestling, even if they don't watch wrestling ever, know who Stone Cold Steve Austin is. I mean, he's probably the most famous wrestler outside of maybe Hogan, Rock and Cena, or maybe not even Cena. Um, he has gone through some iconic gimmick changes over the course of his career. Probably more so going from ringmaster, essentially, to becoming Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, um, it's th this is difficult for me, because I don't know if this happened at an exact point or if it was more of a gradual change because it was like it must have been 1996 when this was going on um, and what did you think about the emergence over the next few years of the Stone Cold Steve Austin gimmick? Well, it was the same case of you know Hogan transitioning to Hollywood Hogan because the ringmaster I only ever saw clips of him in like ECW and stuff and that's where he was mostly featured but when he made that jump to WWF he became the anti-authority figure that is Stone Cold Steve Austin everything just sort of turned on its head for him. He became a bona fide main event star and arguably probably one of the most popular wrestlers ever, not just in WWF, but in wrestling as a whole. And he won over with the crowd, you know, the, the it, it was a time of, it was a point in time where, you know, anti-authority figures were always the, the talk of the town. Like everybody just wanted to beat up their boss and just drink beer by the, by the, the keg full. And, you know, having that sort of rebel like Stone Cold, Steve Austin in the WWF, def, you know, you, like you said yourself, Chris, it, it was it was sort of the turning point for WWF, and that's what got people tuning back in to see him. Jack, you said you're a, a sort of newer wrestling fan, weren't watching wrestling in 1995, but someone who's sort of you know, once we all start watching wrestling, we very quickly realise the history of wrestling, all these important figures. What are your sort of memories of the Stone Cold Steve Austin character and how? How was that for you, basically? It was always just like, whenever I'd watch clips or anything, or even like when he's came back recently, it's always someone that's kind of resonated with the crowd or someone who just doesn't kind of give a hoot and say, give, give an F about anything. It's someone that's like at that time, I kind of, where the audience demographic mainly had of the kind of like young teen boys that were kind of in that rebellious stage of their life. He was that kind of personification of what they maybe wanted to be. So I understood it in that kind of sense and it allowed kind of folk maybe to watch and tune in to see oh what's he going to do, how's he going to do this or maybe I'll go get a milk truck and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah and basically these two gimmicks you know essentially fought head to head over the Monday Night Wars but I don't want to dwell too much on the old stuff the other one that I'd maybe like to mention from that era is the sort of emergence of the Mr McMahon character as opposed to the sort of Vince McMahon character that was the commentator and owner before that um, I think that was quite interesting, going back to what you said David, for the anti-hero that you had in Austin, you had to have his mortal enemy in the form of the suit that you had to beat up every week and I must say as a wrestling fan that got into it in like, I'd say 99-2000, it's absolutely excellent just watching Austin going against Vince for those two years. Yeah, it's like in the 90s, you know, you had, it was the time of um, simplicity but also a good level of cheesiness because you had the the sort of heroic character but you needed a, 
a boss character that you could really hate. And Mr. McMahon, you know, he was you know, doing all the traits of a, a typical corporate villain, you know, abusing his authority, you know, just like basically alienating his employees, in particular the one that was always going up against him. So at, at a time, you know, everything was sort of labelled in black and white quite a, quite a bit. The sort of the working man against the boss, it, it was a simple formula, but for the time where everything was as simple as you could get, it worked brilliantly. Yeah, and it's weird that he reports that Vince, like, it's really coming out after the Montreal Screwdown, Vince thought he would be seen as the, the face of this story. The idea of Brett would be seen as the unreasonable one going to the other company, but because it was in Canada, I think everybody rallied behind Brett and booed McMahon. And we think of it, it couldn't have worked out better for him because McMahon had always really wanted to be a wrestler, he wanted to be a heel-style character. Because a lot of people say the Million Dollar Man is basically what he wanted to be if he was a wrestler. So it really worked out because he kind of got what he wanted so that he could now portray kind of a heel on TV. And a lot of people will say that, like, Bischoff was doing it first, the whole heel authority figure, the boss that is the bad guy. But his one was more the boss that wants to be pals with his employees and what comes out in the leather jackets on the motorbikes with him. Whereas he is the boss that you hate, the guy who basically, he's got a job to do, basically, this is the way it's done. If you don't like it, tough. Well, what I thought we should do next is, obviously, we've mentioned quite a lot of old school guys there, but I want to just skip the next 20 years because we're <laughs> going to dive into them when we talk more about the panel's own contributions. But the reason, essentially, we're doing this show is because we're currently going through one of the, probably the best gimmick revitalizations we've ever seen in the form of our uh, WWE champion. I forgot what they were for a minute. Universal. Which one was? Universal. 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 Ah, fuck. 50% shot, got it wrong. Um, and that is, of course, the fiend Bray Wyatt. Now, Bray Wyatt and Husky Harris and all that other shite that he's done in between. He's gone through some stuff. But do we all agree that he's at his That's best? That's an understatement. <laughs> that, is, that is an understatement. But do we, would we all agree that he's at his best point now? I would absolutely agree with that one. You went, you went from Bray Wyatt, who... Well, initially when he was Husky Harris, he... I, I honestly cannot remember what he did on that first season of NXT that he was on. Could not remember a thing from it. Then he joins the new Nexus, and the only thing I remember from that was him taking the lashing from CM Punk. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. And then he gets punted in the head by Randy Orton and shows up later in NXT as Bray Wyatt. You then get the Wyatt family story, he breaks off from them, he gets the deleted revolts stuff with Matt Hardy, and then he goes off the radar for a while, and you get these promo packages of, I think, I think it was the first one, Mercy the Buzzards. Yeah, come yeah, out yeah, yeah. the puzzle came out the box, and then all of a sudden, we are really glad that you're our friend. And we got the Firefly Funhouse. Easily, it's it's bl- it's Blue's Clues meets Halloween. What the hell do you not love about it? <laughs> that is so alarmingly accurate. <laughs> AI, it's been it's been one of the it's probably my favorite ever. As an just because of how much it's done for that character and how much it's like in a revamped his career because it could have maybe been seen at a point and this didn't happen how long would he be left for the company how long could it have been there but there's been points that I've felt it's even with the delete of the worlds kind of era when he became the tag champs there was so much storyline potential that could have been there and obviously the entry happened and he was just like oh you just can't say we don't have anything for you and I was saying even when he's had good gimmicks he's just been underutilised to fuck and it's an absolute shame. EP, we've not heard from you yet. Mm. You a fan of the Bray move? Yes, I am. Very much so. Um, I'm very invested in the 
Firefly Funhouse and take him back to Hell in a Cell when he got the match against Seth Rollins. We don't talk about the ending because that's the ending, but just when this is the first time you're going to see him do his intro and his walk out to the ring, and the fact that everyone was just saying, this is awesome, before the bell of even rang, purely for that uh, entrance. It's brilliant. The I mean, you got it with Bala before that though, SummerSlam. Yeah, that was his first appearance. Oh, and then oh, thank you very much, there, Jack. Oh, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to ever stand your toes around. I mean, at least you don't go all botch. Because <laughs> also they had, they had the video put up when they originally had this uh, lantern that had his face, and they had to cut it. And more because they can't have that up in their YouTube highlights. Like, so I'll, I'll always remember that. Yeah, you know what I always remember about that entrance is, you know how they sometimes do if superstars are not on the card, they do that watch along. Johnny Gargano's face pretty yes. much summed up, you know, just staring at it, jaw dropped, and you think, this is an outstanding character change right there. Like, just the way they've, just the little details to everything, you know, taking a lot from, a lot of inspiration from sort of skinny movies and stuff, and it just sort of meshed it all together. I mean, it's outstanding. The crazy thing was, is like, I mean, I, I can't speak for every wrestling fan, but listening to a lot of wrestling chatter online there was a period where basically Firefly Funhouse Fun was the best thing going in WWE yeah so. yeah, no doubt about it what I actually remember was going back to the SummerSlam thing Pam and I stayed up we watched it live and the music starts and then you just see that shot of him holding the lantern and when we figured out what it was Pamela could not watch it like she was just oh my god like she, she loved it she loves The Fiend but that first shot where you just saw the lanterns, it was just like, nope, no thank you. <laughs> but I was just sat there like, oh my god, this is fantastic. Like, he's got his own blooming head as a lantern. <laughs> what the hell do you not love about that? Gary Lucy saw that live as well. Oh, yeah. they, they, were, they were at SummerSlam. Nice, I'm very, very jealous. Right, okay, so we're about to sort of switch things up. I'm going to hand it over to the panel to put forward some of their own suggestions, but don't forget you can get involved in this conversation as well. When this episode goes up on all of our social media channels, please do comment underneath the episode with all of the other sort of gimmick suggestions that we feel um, are most relevant and most exciting when the character changes were made. Now, we didn't hear loads from that last little bit, so I'm going to turn to him first, Jack. I would like to hear one of your submissions as a sort of favourite gimmick change that has happened. One of my favourites is something that's like, I'd only say it's overlooked because folk won't remember until I say it, then they'll be like, oh yeah, that's something that did happen. We'll save that for another episode. We need a whole show for that. So I'm going to take it way back. Maybe not my favourite cheerleading group of all time. But they're a cheerleading group nonetheless. We've got Nick, 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 Nicky. <laughs> was maybe there for a good few years. Got a good tag team run under his belt. Titles, had a storyline with Vincent Mann in DX and came back. It's the one and only show off, Dolph Ziggler. That is a great suggestion. The, the, I just want to put this in here straight away. Like WWE didn't even feel like he was the most successful guy in the Spirit Squad. That was obviously Kenny who, you know, he had a leg drop. Hooray! Um, <laughs> And then it would take a good few years for the emergence of Dolph to even happen. But um, yeah, it's a great shout for the first one we want to go on because that's a really significant change. It's not even just like, 
you went from face to being a heel, you literally the whole gimmick was completely different. So, um, what do you think of uh, the emergence of Dolph Ziggler after the Spirit Squad? I mean, I would be fairly behind this pick if Dolph hadn't been a despicable human being recently, stealing Mandy Rose away from what it's doing. <laughs> so, you know, it's that aside... It's a sensitive subject, we, we don't like to discuss it. <laughs> like, we come in for you, Ziggler. It's <laughs> 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 how, unrecogn- how unrecognisable Dolph is from his Spirit Squad. Even when he debuted yeah. on the main roster, he'd grow his hair out, was now blonde. Mm. And like you said, like, they all thought, like the WWE backstage thought, oh, Kenny, he's going to be the breakout star, we'll put him in this weird programme with Ric Flair, of, of all people. And then just the colossal failure of that, like, looking at Kenny, Versus and looking at Dolph the way like you see how much more of a natural athlete and how much of a natural he is obviously with that whole amateur wrestling background they took advantage of that as they rightfully should have the crazy thing is it's like they these guys were literally put in a bin and sent out of the company he had absolutely no business coming back from that yeah exactly so like I was also remember when when the Spurs goal first came out my first thought was that's Chavo Guerrero's caddy. <laughs> Kermit <laughs> White's caddy. Oh god, those are, that was that was the name of his character. I forgot about that. Yeah. Like he went from he went in the span of a few months he went from being like Chavo like Kermit White's caddy guy to a cheerleader. I don't know if that is a good thing or a very very bad thing. I'm guessing somebody probably wants to rib on him or something. But that's like saying you know if you want would you rather get burned alive or thrown into a, a spike pit or something. Jesus, <laughs> that's a bit of an extreme example. <laughs> <laughs> that was David Hockney describing the creative meeting when discussing Kane and Undertaker's storyline in 1998. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unintentional as well. But yeah, going back to Dolph Ziggler for a moment, yeah, again, it's his whole, you know, redevelopment, you know, it was just little things and he even, you know, went bef- like just after he came back and over the sort of the, next, the coming few months he would change up his, his gear as well like he would alter his you know his behaviour you know he, he had a he had Maria Canellis as a valet as well for a time mind that yep man I forgot that even happened <laughs> and there was a segment where I think they were making out in the closet and then John Morrison was in the office and he was just like oh I'm glad you finally came out of the closet <laughs> like, <laughs> because yeah gay jokes were a thing at the time we're going to try and get around as many of these suggestions as possible because the ones that you have put forward are absolutely excellent. So I'm going to jump to Daniel next because you picked two wrestlers which I thought were sort of intro-worthy as to how significant their changes were. I'm just going to flip it to you as to which one of the two you sent me that you want to talk about. Well, the one that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about a man who I would easily say is my favourite heel of all time and that is the game Triple H. Mm. So let's rewind the clock back to 1999 first half of the year he's in DX, he's leading it, he's a babyface leader. He then stabs him in the back at WrestleMania 15 joining the corporation. He then, also fun fact, main events the first actual Smackdown with Undertaker against Rock and Austin in a tag team match. <laughs> then he starts getting some title opportunities. He took part in the triple threat at the UK No Mercy that they did that year. Then around the time of Fully Loaded he's put into a program with Rock, they're put in a strap match, the winner gets the champion at SummerSlam. But I'm going to talk about the Sunday Night Heat before Fully Loaded. That interview with Jim Ross, where Jim Ross talks about Triple H being, you know, he wanted to just find out more about Triple H's intentions with it, and Triple H says, You talk about being a student of the game. I am the fucking game. It was that sentence that started it all. And then the next night, July 26th, my birthday actually. 
that was the first night he came out and referred himself as the game. Then we fast forward, SummerSlam, he won, for SummerSlam he takes part in the triple threat match. Was it the next night he... Yeah, on Raw the next night he wins the belt. The next night he wins the title, he then wins it again at Unforgiven the next month. And sure enough, the McMahon-Helmsley regime comes in shortly afterwards. If it hadn't been for that one promo, he went from being a member of a team to being the man who leads the team. Like, it was no longer Triple H is just that guy that's there. Everyone, it was all eyes on Triple H. It was, yeah, honestly, you've, you've probably picked one that we should have spoke about at the start, because again, this is another one that's kind of responsible for uh, WWE winning the Monday Night War. It was um, iconic. If you look back at some of the awful gimmicks that Triple H was using at the start of his career, Terra Rising, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is originally one word, and according to the, uh, is it When Kingdom Comes documentary? Thy Thy Kingdom, Kingdom, yeah. He was like, he went to Dusty Rhodes and he said, oh, um, Kelly I wa- or Kelly Kowalski, he was like, uh, I want uh, an, a, a full name gimmick, I don't want just one word, and they went, okay, Terra Rising, <laughs> two words, and I, that always just sticks in my head. It could have yeah, yeah, been put so a line through the words, <laughs> just like, there you go. Terra yeah, Rising. It could have all been so different. What about when he Triple was a H. French bureaucrat as well? He was Jean Paul Levesque, oh, yeah. playing off his own name a bit, but it was like, oh, can you speak French? No, okay, but speak with a French accent instead. Yeah, and it's it's weird to think that we wouldn't have got that interview if the initial plans were his initial push in like in '96 that it was planned before the whole curtain call incident, and then that went to Austin, which then shut him up. So. You've got to think about the two gimmicks that he said helped carry WWE through the Midnight Wars. They may not have happened if plans went as they were going to. I do love in that interview with Jim Ross, he mentions the current call and how he felt yeah. pulled down. And then the rocket fully loaded rips on goes, how you weren't whining in your little interview about how they held you back. When they didn't hold you back because you were wet to say goodbye to your friends. They held you back because you absolutely suck. <laughs> and he went, you got a, a, like a five feet nose and it's two foot up Vince's ass. <laughs> <laughs> to, to make a really sweeping generalisation, Right, if Triple H hadn't did this heel turn and went with the corporation, would we have NXT? Like, would be would he be in a prominent position? Would he have started banging so. Steph? Would have he got in? <laughs> like, you know, it's it's all it's all Jesus it's all part yes! of it's all part wow! of the snowball. Like. So if Triple H never banged Steph, he wouldn't have got NXT. Is that what you're saying? Well, I wouldn't be the first person to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think so because he was kind of a player in the corporation to begin with. It wasn't until the corporation like pretty much had disbanded by the time he'd won his first WWE title. I think it's the whole thing with Steph that he nearly credit for his true kind of like position as a main event because after that he has the Mankind feud and then the stuff with The Rock. Because his first few months as champion, he w- doesn't win at SummerSlam when he's meant to. Wins it the next night, loses it to Vince, and then the title's vacated. Wins it back and then loses it to Big Show and then has to win it back. It's kind of just stop start for a win. We're probably going to need to move on because we've got hundreds of wrestlers we have to get to, but it's two great suggestions already. David, I'm going to come at you next because mm-hmm. that you were actually, this was the first name that was suggested when we even started this conversation. Hopefully you remember who it was. I do, but yeah. Who's your epic? Well, see, I'm actually going to go a bit more low-key with this one. Um, not Caval. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Ten points to David for a <laughs> great word. Pun. But yeah, this one is always stuck in my mind because it was the first superstar I like followed actively for quite a while and, you know, sort of you know, took a lot of his mannerisms uh, to heart a bit. And it was the the evolution of The Miz in 2009. Because in the years prior, you know, he was like, uh, like you know, he was the, the host of the Diva Search, but then he was sort of still an aspiring superstar trying to break out on SmackDown. And his, sort of, his first sort of breakout moment was the 
the dirt sheet with John Morrison, and he was still kind of that goofy-looking superstar. Hat Miz. I really hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Fedora Miz. Yeah. But even still, when he broke away from Morrison and went to Raw, you know, he was shooting with Cena, but he still had that. It felt like he was still in that phase of you know being a bit of a goofy host who could just about carry himself in the ring. But when he sort of made the transition, like the, to the full sort of heel transition, when you know, he, he changed up his attire and. You know, we actually started feuding with Morrison as two mid-card champions. That's when we think, okay, maybe we could be onto something here. And then, at the start of 2010, he changes his theme to that outstanding I Came To Play song, which is now just over 10 years old now. God, that makes oh. me feel really, really old. Yep. Do you know what, that's a great, please continue. It's, I, I do yeah. think, as much as and everyone has got stunned looks on their face at the moment, <laughs> this is actually one of the oh, best ones. Yeah. Oh. It's just it's, it's just when you think in the years prior to SmackDown that you think this guy's at best probably going to be a mid-card champion and that's or, it. Or not even that, like like a host. Like a like, host, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I, think, I, sp- I can speak for everyone, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's more the line of I based my mannerisms on it was the line <laughs> that caught people prepared enough. No, honestly, I had like Miz t-shirts and everything, I had my hair in a faux hawk A t-shirt's well. not a mannerism. Well, <laughs> you know what? Forget it. Can you say no? Because Ross had that T-shirt as well. Ross had he tried to do his hair like the Miz as well. See, so that's that's the kind of impact this yeah, reinvented Miz. I'm gonna appreciate this, like you know, styling yourself. Because I had this with CM Punk 2012. I was yeah. like, I'm gonna shave my hair off. I can be this guy. <laughs> See, um, I was imagining it as if he was still taking it to this day. He was still coming out with these Miz mannerisms from back then. I was like. Come on! <laughs> it's, it, do you know what? Right, I would actually place this as one of the best ever. If it wasn't for the fact that the start of this Miz gimmick felt very much the same as when Chris Jericho done it. Mm, yeah, because there were kind of echoes of you know a transition of Chris Jericho, but yeah. and I know that listeners, you can tweet me in and give me all the shit for it, but I know that Chris Jericho's gimmick was based on something from a film. Uh, Scott, do you know it? Uh, have you ever heard Dem's character in, f- in No Country for Old Men? Yes. Boom. Ha, take that, nerds on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a little bit of Nick Bonkwinkle, apparently. We've got our own nerd on the internet right here. Eh? <laughs> um, so, but without having that tiny little Chris Jericho caveat, I think you make a, a really good submission. Mm. Panel members, you have sat with your jaws on the floor for the last few minutes. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Miz sort of, you know, heel gimmick of 2009-2010? Should we turn it to Jack first? <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was just more shocked that the mannerism was anything. I was like, what mannerisms? I was like, I'm completely... I was like, what? I'm, I'm completely with his choice. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Like, he's... He went through this complete overall change, and you obviously had him where he was doing his parents with Maurice and whatnot. And then also now they're married, they're a thing. He's been one of the most captivating figures in WWE's late. He's one of the most solid workhorse folk that just doesn't miss a day. Would that have happened from ages ago? I don't think so. But if we didn't get this Miz character that we've got now, and even like even when his his face runs are good, but it's not overly great. But he's still able to put in that kind of good show that he can make it work and still kind of carry it a bit. And that takes a lot for someone that's not able, for a character that really shouldn't be in a face role. It takes a lot for someone to be able to do that to make that get, get, get it kind of go over. Exactly. He's also supposedly one of the most reliable wrestlers in the company in terms mm-hmm. of like not breaking cunts next. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, is, has he ever actually had a long term injury? Please don't drink some touch wood. On Talking Smack, the one where he cut the promo on Daniel Bryan, he pointed out the fact that he has, the way, like, Daniel Bryan made comments about Miz being a safe, a safe wrestler, but Miz actually pointed out, 
in the entire time that he's been in WWE, he had never once been out with an actual injury. Anytime he had been written off TV was a storyline injury for like doing film projects. Yeah. He's never actually been told, right, you've torn this muscle, you've broken this bone, and you have to take time off. He has actually worked such a great style of wrestling over these years. He's always able to go out and deliver the best work possible. You can't fault him on that. I mean, and he kept that going now when he got injured and big, like at quotation marks, so that Shane McMahon had to fill in for him at Crown Jewel. He was like, he's pulled his ankle and he kept that whole thing going about him not going to ever getting injured. And that he kept saying like to the referees that tried to tell him, he can't really. He goes, no, I don't get hurt. Like, so he was keeping that story going. If I don't get injured, which automatically made you think like he's not injured, is he? Yeah. Like you could tell immediately he's not hurt. Yeah, and I feel as well like it needs to be touched on it a bit earlier. He did always start his WWE career on a sort of minus one because he was always going to get shit for the fact that it's like you weren't a wrestler, you're a reality TV star. Mm -hmm. And he managed to overcome all of that. Mainly from JBL. Yeah, well, yes. Thankfully, well, less said about him, the better. Um, I'm going to say this with all certainty, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. So, And it's quite deserved. So well done, Miz, for having such an absolutely dynamite career right okay so we're gonna jump outside of wwe for a little minute because i'm conscious that scott you've not had a chance to dive in with any of yours so me and you have both <laughs> been big tna fans you gave me a shout from tna which i thought was really good you gave me a shout from new japan which i thought was really good i'll let you decide which one you want to talk about uh, i think i'll stick more tna because i think because I do the New Japan show, I think I, I understand that not everybody watches New Japan regularly. It might be slightly more of a niche reference. So I'm going to stick with TNA for now. And I had two, I think, really good ones to go home. But I'm sticking with uh, the transformation of tag team wrestler brother slash Bubba Ray into Bully Ray. Because, like, the Dudleys, they tried them as singles wrestlers in WWE. It didn't work. I mean, the best thing from it was we got Deacon Batista on SmackDown, which led to them Batista taking off. But then once Bubba Ray became Bully Ray in TNA after the tease, the Dudleys are retired and, and then he turns on Devon and then debuts the next week as Bully Ray. He just went from strength to strength in the whole, whole eights and eights. He would he bullied like smaller guys because like you're just boys, I'm a real wrestler. Which is something he would go on to do in Ring of Honor and then that finally got him that main event run as leader of aces and eights with the World Championship which for a while I thought this will be the last good thing TNA does because after then they went into a weird spiral, but they're coming back now as Impact. But as TNA, that was the last great thing they did of having him as the world champion, I think. Yeah, I, I have few like crystal clear memories of TNA. Like There's obviously a lot more iconic moments yeah. that happened in WWE, but one of the ones that I always remember, the cage match, Hardy beats him for the belt. Uh, Aces and Eights, just yeah. you know the emergence of that, and then do you remember the promo afterwards where he basically explained yeah. how the whole thing had been building for a year? Because I think mm. I think some people were kind of confused as to how it happened because he'd been like trying to get close to Brooke Hogan and Hulk to try, and then revealed no, it's actually me all along. So he realised we're going to twist this all by make it make sense. But the actual turn itself, like he got like he, he comes face to face with Devon, like former partners, and then he just pulls out the hammer as if he's going to use it on Bubba. He just throws it to him and it's a slow turnaround Hardy doesn't see it he hits him in the back with a hammer which they use that very effectively they're constantly taking people out for like long periods of time with that hammer as their like signature weapon yeah it was, a, it was honestly it was a great period of time it was sad that the aces and eights angle just 
ended up on a bit of a wet farm. But um, <laughs> yeah, I honestly I loved uh, Bully Ray as champion. It proved this theory that I had about TNA for ages, which was like, oh, there was a point where anybody could be champion, maybe except yeah. Sharp Boy. <laughs> Sorry, oh, Sharp, like Boy. Sharp Boy. Um, but there was loads of like uh, good gimmicks, good wrestlers around at that time that could all be champion. But what yeah. uh, what do you guys think about uh, sort of that period of Bully Ray? Bully Ray is easily one of the best things that he has ever done. Like, you cannot deny that for even a second. And actually, even just his character work when he was being the aggressive heel, you, you love it all the time. Even even when he gets hit in the nuts with a cheese grater in a match, <laughs> turns around and yells in the arena, Oh, my balls! <laughs> just And you hear it clearly in camera. People start pissing themselves laughing. But you love his work. He's, he's the... He's the heel in this, and yet you're like, I really want to see what he does. Like, you, he instantly brought attention to it. There's no way you couldn't not pay attention to Billy Ray when he was on TV. Then you remember Billy Ray, or sorry, Bubba Ray's really brief singles run that was in <laughs> WWF. No, no. It was just after the very, very oh, yeah. first brand extension. He did a lot of yeah. like, tables matches. He did some stuff with I was watching There was the, potential even way back then. Like I was watching the Ripless Aggression thing earlier on and I don't know if this is true or not apparently only a few select members of the roster knew where they were going Bubba Ray and Devon found out live they found out live on TV they were being split alright it cuts to an interview with Bubba saying like nobody wants to see us as singles guys but and then that's you can tell like how true that was that they got back together by the end of that year don't forget this. Don't forget the, the thing you said yeah. on TV. Yeah. See, I, I don't even remember singles Bubba Ray in like WWE at all. Like his transition to Bully Ray and Aces and Eights in TNA is probably one of the most memorable character changes I do remember from TNA. One of the other, the only other one that really sticks out in my mind is when AJ Styles transitions to that evil ways kind of gimmick. Uh-huh. But cool. Bully Ray and oh, Aces yeah. and Eights is still arguably the most memorable, not just because of the you know the shock twist and the year-long build towards it, but the fact that he was able to get involved with big names such as Hulk Hogan and essentially become the leader of one of the most memorable factions in TNA, it just goes to show how beneficial it was. We are not hearing enough from our man Kwaku in the corner who's running the wires, and you had your own suggestion, which isn't WWE, it's not even TNA, it's way beyond, it's across the pond. I thought we have to get this one in because I feel like it's very topical. Well, it technically is across the pond because I'm going to talk about Jackie Polo. (laughs) Jackie! (laughs) Anyway, um, so yes, Jackie is somebody that, see when you, when we've talked, we've interviewed quite a number of people across the Scottish scene and a lot of people have said to us, Jackie would give me me this advice for character and stuff like that and you can so tell like because I don't just the guy manages to reinvent himself in a way that grips you. Gonna take it back to Baron Mania at a while ago now, 2018, when you think about it. Yeah, 2018 Baron Mania. We've got a match with Jackie, continue a long feud with uh, Lionheart and God Rest His Soul. And we get this thing coming up with, it starts off with the Polo Promotions music, cuts away, then a new western song comes on and before it we had Jackie tweeting that's just justice hashtag everything's just justice nobody knew what just justice was and we then find out he comes out in this white k- 
cowboy attire with JJ, the JP down there. And it's just like, wow. Yeah, and he grips you, he goes in this mad tirade and his promo work was just absolutely funny. He's now just justice coming out of Texas. He changes the way he talks with that American accent, which is just so funny and brilliant. Um, he even falls in Rangers and Celtic sec uh, segments and his promos and all people are cheering and booing. And that's the thing about Jackie, he's not He's not like a, always like a heel or face per se. He's just always something that gets a reaction out of you and keeps you gripped. And now we've got him coming out as just Jackson. Uh, again, we don't know where that's coming now, but we're gripped. I love that we're talking about this now because I feel like we're bang in the middle of the best time to be talking about because nobody knows where it's going just yeah, yet. I mean, he's he's coming out in dungarees with uh, like the on-off switch on it and he was like, what does that mean? And Oh, even just the way he came back at Fear Loven with that video package and it's been started since uh, Fear and Loven sorry, came back square go it started that Fear and Loven and it's just had little vignettes of the letters conundrum around and then all of a sudden square go U-S-T-A-X-N backs up and it's J-J and it's just wow I, Just before I throw it to the pan I want to throw in as well that like if you think of like everything that's happened in ICW since its inception, like Jackie Pola, I think's a really good wrestler, but his character work what makes him a really great wrestler. Yes, he's he's like if you know when an ICW Hall of Fame inevitably emerges again, much like the Miz, he's going to be have to be one of the characters that needs to be in there. Jack, well, I was I only started watching ICW about 2015, so that's maybe like only about five years ago now. So I wasn't that into it, but Jackie Polo was the first kind of person that got me drawn in. To what the company was about with polo promotions and whatnot, and I, I, on record here, I would say that his Just Justice character is perfection personified, and what a character gimmick is. I believe there's not been many things been better than what he's been able to do with that, and it's just it completely blew me away, and I was sold on everything he was saying. I was I wasn't one him to lose. At all. I always want him just to go on a high, go on a high and ride out high. Bring a horse in for an entrance for all I care about as a cowboy. <laughs> I've got a feeling that that was that quack. You know better than me, but was that not looked into or something? I, I don't know about that, but the only thing I knew was like the whole just justice thing. Only pretty much three people, including himself, knew what was going on. Like um, not even Lionheart knew what was going on. Like there was even a thing where he said that he was meant to go out first and he was dressed up as Jackie Polo, best wrestler in the world, the normal Jackie Polo and then he said, no, can you go out first? And as, as soon as he went out, he started changing up. Ah, oh, fantastic, and brilliant. That's, that's how it, and like, so no, no, not many people knew it, only him, uh, another producer in the back had something that made the music and that was it. God, I love it. I think that Jackie's whole career in ICW even like when the first time I saw him was when he was doing the polo lounge and everybody fucking hated him and we would turn around and face the bar when he was in the ring it's just pretty much every era of this gimmick that he's had has just always been absolutely amazing yeah like it was just all, all the little things that he did as this kind of character especially getting coach Shrub as now the warden and the coach would dress like him coach even spoke in an American accent and like one of the best ones was uh, I think it was a secret show that it two nights before Fear and Loathing 11 where I think it was him, Jackie Polo versus Joe Coffey in the main event and 
uh, Sam Gaz may make an interruption. I think he's mic like messed up a bit, so it wasn't working for a second. And then Coach Rivers warning a big sick text next to what done went, It's your fault <laughs> <laughs> and everybody just laughed. Yeah. Uh, I think one of his favourite uh, lines that he cut was uh, to Mark Dallas and he was like you the sheriff around these parts <laughs> <laughs> and of course the sportatorium which we can't oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. well, one of my the main thing I'll, I remember from Jackie Pollock is I criminally came into the, the Just Justice character right near the tail end of it because right. I tended to feel more I know, boo me, whatever. Screw you. Um, I came in and it was it was the Fear and Loathing Lionheart won the title and I saw a clip of one of the segments they did on Fight Club leading up to it and it's the one where he just briefly drops the Just Justice and becomes Jackie Polo oh, for man. one brief moment. He just goes, because you're not going to get me, you're getting ja- Jackie Polo. He just slips back in, the Scottish accent comes in and you're just like, next level. His character work was fantastic. Uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, having a great character is half the battle, but he he absolutely got it spot on. And the fact that he's just a, a fantastic wrestler at the same time, it just goes to show, you know, not only is he good in the ring, but the fact that he's got this excellent character to back him up, it, it goes to show why he's one of ICW's like, biggest names ever. Right, so just before we dive into the break, there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about because I feel it's relevant to the old school, it's relevant to the new school, it's relevant right this fucking minute. And it's one of the best character changes that ever happened. Uh, and I would like Daniel to explain it. So let's go back to 2004. There's a triple threat match at SummerSlam that year. And someone comes out, he's a hometown boy. Gets booed at the damn building. Little did we know this would be the star of the transformation into the rated R superstar <laughs> Edge. Absolutely great shout. Is is one of, even though I remember passionately hating him because he was going up against John Cena, my hero. Um, it was one of the best. Are you yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best uh, character gimmicks that they come up with. Yeah, like it's the way they transitioned them into it. It was brilliant just to start them off. So the main starting point was he's starting to show some more heel tendencies throughout like September. He had to, like, if I remember correctly, he had to vacate the IC title due to some injury. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Taboo Tuesday, he and and what. Uh, so, the, sorry? No, no, it's fine. Like, uh, they're put into a tag team match because Michaels get voted to face Triple H, and Edge walks out of the tag match. Just and then he comes back and spears Michaels, and he's just yelling, "It should have been me." You get the wee storyline with Michaels leading in. He then goes on to win the Money in the Bank at WrestleMania 21. Then uh, something with Matt Hardy and Lita Hand, and then <laughs> as time went on, we eventually got him referring to himself as the rated R superstar. And then you notice the matches he was in became more and more high profile. The steel cage match at Unforgiven 2005 with Hardy. They had a ladder match on Raw at the, the Raw Hulk Homecoming. Homecoming yeah. And then you get New Year's Revolution 2006. Cena retains the, the WWE title in the Elimination Chamber. And then Vince McMahon says, Edge is gonna cash in his money in the bank privilege. Edge comes out, a couple of spears later, he wins the WWE Championship. And that was that was the starting point. He then went. He had McFoley at WrestleMania. He became an eleven-time world champion over the next few years. Like, what the hell can you say as bad about it? Well, you forgot. You forgot the fact that he got his Nat King in the in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <one. laughs> 
what you did, David. Well done. Um, I just want to quickly get everyone's thoughts on this because I think this is genuinely one of the best ones of all time. Jack, I've I've came out and said a lot that Edge is my like favourite wrestler of all time, oh, yeah. and it's really because my very first WWE pay per view I watched it was back in the time when you only got some on box office and some on Sky Sports, you oh, always oh, record yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And New Year's, New Year's Revolution was one of the ones that was just on Sky Sports. I recorded it and watched it the next morning. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I was I was completely, I was already kind of liking Edge at that point because I was had a, what was it, fancy fuck out of Alita. But like, even like when you're like eight and whatnot, you're like, yeah, that's like, that's I'm on Heart to be my girlfriend. Then he just came out and the, the smoke came out and Vince just seeing all his cash and his money in the bank and I'm like, Yes, he is the ultimate opportunist. Fucking, he did it, and even like his kind of celebration, where he was like still kind of shocked, like streaking his hair and that, completely sold it for me. I was just hooked in that point that Edge was is always going to be my top, my top guy. Yeah, he did this thing that only a few wrestlers have done, which is um, get injured, and when they come back, despite the fact that they're being healed, everyone just goes nuts. Like Triple H, two thousand two, Edge when he came back from his, it's just like they're they're such a big deal to the company that when they came back, everyone's just like, yeah, I fucking love you. <laughs> I know, I, I agree with you, Like I hated Edge for a good couple of years <laughs> when I was younger because first off he did the turn on Michaels, I like to show Michaels, then he stole Lita from Kane, who was my favourite, so I hated him even more, and then I really liked John Cena a lot at the time, so <laughs> when he came out and then cast in on Cena, and now he had the title, I hated him just even more. Because at the time, we didn't even know that that could happen. He said, I'm casting in. I mean, I thought you had to say in advance when you're casting in. The idea of casting in with the Champions of Honor, which seems to be the norm now, when the went back at the time, that didn't even seem like an option. And then the idea of him having the title, just like, it was the worst thing that could have happened. Dude, I can actually see the vein in your forehead. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're going to need this hatred. Keep this hatred in mind, because in the second half of the show, we're about to talk about some of our least favourite gimmick changes and that's when things are going to get juicy you know for every one compliment you give out you give out like nine really spiteful things um, so I'm really really excited for this kind of like here we've, we have <laughs> left out in the McLeod household <laughs> <laughs> we have left out one man we have left out a dead man which we're going to go on to talk about was it good was it bad it's always been very contentious and I feel we should talk about that after the break so during the break you're going to hear the debut of a brand new gimmick for a certain man called The Undertaker. See you in a minute. What's happening? I'm the blood to this Lou King Sap. And I'm the Scudmaster Sexy oh, yeah, Big Crack. Oh, 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 oh that's people. nice. Sorry, people. Right, right, go again. Sorry, sorry. Right, right. Three, two, one, go. You're listening to the Shotgun Keenan Kelly. And the natural Craig Anthony. And together we are iGen. And you're listening to Eat, Eat Sleep, Suplex, Retweet.
said Gravy Davy and my wee cousin, the real pride of Govins Ander, and we are the Govins team, and you're watching Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, and that's what's happening through Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome back to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. I am your host for the festivities. My name is Chris Murray. I am joined by Kwaku, Daniel, Scott, David, and Jack. And the immortal words of Keen, everybody's changing, and I don't feel the same. Because we're talking all about gimmick revitalizations and character changes that we've enjoyed. Two things happened during the break. One, I found some ketchup in my hair. <laughs> Judy's okay. out as to how that got there. And thing number two was we all remembered some uh, suggestions for favourite gimmicks that we never got to in the first half. So just quietly go around the room, just shout out a name for me. Chris Jericho. Damien Mister. It's gonna be King. King Booker. Oh, of Ooh. course. Mm-hmm. Jack? John Cena. Of course, I mean, genuinely, we could have we could have spent... All he did was change his t-shirt colour! <laughs> <laughs> no, but there was a lot more than a change. Also, oh, come on! on. Yeah, give him the credit of the fact that because he changed his gimmick, he probably be, be, became the biggest wrestler of the last 15 years. I know. I was, I was just trying to be a smart horse, mm. that's all. So. Chris, like Chris Jericho, John Cena especially, and Kane, actually, we could spend the whole podcast just talking about their characters. So, um, thank you so much for listening to this in the future, whenever it goes up. Let's do some uh, cheap plugs. You've just heard the break, which uh, we're going to talk about in just a little minute, uh, with an immortal scene from when The Undertaker debuted as the American Badass. We're going to get onto that in just a little minute. But please do head over to the main podcast feed right now where you can hear Ryan Gallagher chatting to the Buckfast Barbarian himself, Davy Boy. I think he'd be really fun to talk to. Mm-hmm. I've only ever spoke to him like for two minutes at events and his gimmick is just him, right? Oh, no, no it's, it's, um, you know the old thing of uh, a wrestler's character, they say, make it your but times it by 100. It's just him. <laughs> like, literally, it's just him. <laughs> times by probably 1.5 maybe, <laughs> Absolutely love it. And uh, another plug as well, coming this Monday, we're gonna have a Source Wrestling Tag Team Championship special. The show's gonna include interviews with some of the wrestlers involved as well. Great focus on the sort of Scottish wrestling scene. Can't wait for that one. A couple of people have um, got in touch on Twitter before we started recording the show tonight. Pammy, don't think that's yours, Daniel. Uh, I think I might know her. Uh, uh, obvious one, but Bray Wyatt, his development into The Fiend has been one of their better character adjustments in the last decade and shows to be paying off so much scope for where they can take it if they continue to give him good matches and good stories. Also, of course, our expert in women's wrestling, uh, Sarah was like, we have woefully undercovered and underappreciated uh, women's wrestling on this show. Tell me some of your favorite female gimmick changes. She spoke about Rhea Ripley, which of course, I, I literally, in my head when I saw her at the first uh, NXT UK takeover, was just like, who the hell is this woman? She's absolutely amazing. She should be the <laughs> champion forever. Um, she said that her change from her first uh, Mae Young Classic to now is what she needed. It changed her character completely and obviously excellent. She beat Shayna. That's one of the coolest things that's ever happened. And uh, she also said the standard one for me is Alexa Bliss. She really took that heel character and ran away with it in NXT and she only elevated herself further when she went to SmackDown and branded herself the goddess. Uh, yeah, I have to uh, admit I loved that uh, Alexa run that she did when SmackDown first started after the 
brand split, whatever the hell that was, mm -hmm. uh, and she won the belt off Becky. Yep. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, excellent um, run for that character. Just well, there's one Becky. Becky as well is another good shout as well. Um, <laughs> give me some of your female wrestler submissions as well. On the spot now. Yeah. <laughs> shout them out. Well, we mentioned. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say uh, AJ Lee becoming the Black Widow. Oh, that's a good one, actually. Oh yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you know, she was sort of the plucky, sort of nerdy type on the women's uh, sort of NXT reality show. But then when she sort of found her groove with you know the you know crazy is my superpower style gimmick, but you know it was a bit you know it was in bad taste. I mean the character itself, you know, I think she just got over with everybody. Yeah, right. absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, and to go back to Becky for just a second as well, I think that like not only was her character change to what she does now absolutely amazing because she was the biggest star in the company for a good bit, might even still be questionable. Uh, I absolutely hated her mad steampunk gimmick. Oh, it just never worked with yeah. me. I was like, you just look like you're trying too hard. I kind of hate it. Obviously as well, her like Irish dancer gimmick in NXT as well. <laughs> she has came a long, long way. Yeah, so like another another one for like women for me, it's one that's happening right now. It's not being very well received, but it's arguably made her more relevant than what she has been in the past couple of years, and that's Bailey. Oh god, oh, yeah. Oh god. Yeah. 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 For for three WrestleMania's in a row, I went to the pub that I was watching it in with a hand drawn A4 sign that was just Bailey as a fucking jobber. Because I, I literally <laughs> until until I think until I think like maybe like less than a year ago, I just hated her character. I get, I understood why it was there. It was, you know, get the kids on board, but I just I literally always hated that. I was like, nothing about this is believable. Like, she's just shite. But thankfully they've sorted that It's out. something that's just more than just a heel turn, because it's just like a complete like negation like, of what like, I knew you were going to say something. <laughs> Every time I'm angry on this podcast, I always get called up. Like, if we ever get to interview Bailey, can we please have Chris do the interview? <laughs> you've, you've mentioned in the past Angry John, who's told you something. Oh, God. I'm beginning to think Angry John's just your whole Can you imagine Ang Angry John was actually just <laughs> me? me. Uh, it was me all. You, you, thanks for reminding me, Quacky, because he literally sent me so, so many. Right, okay, who's he burying now? So, um, I'll get to the, his first one, because his first one's the man we're about to talk about. I'll get to that at the end. He said, obviously, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the posh boy gimmick, it didn't work, and him changing to Triple H made him what he is today. Uh, we're going to go with some really old school ones, so shout if you know any of these. Demolition Smash going to Repo Man. <laughs> uh, the, again, you, ha you had to be there. Uh, Stone Cold <laughs> from the Ringmaster just to current Stone Cold. Uh, Rocky My Via becoming The Rock. Mm, uh, this, yeah, this, huge the, yeah, of course, massive. Again, you could do a whole show on just The Rock. Uh, the Sultan and Fatu becoming Rikishi. Who would have ever saw that coming? Uh, Terry Funk to Chainsaw Charlie wasn't good, but it was, uh, sorry, was good, but it was short lived. A one, two, three kid going to X Pack. He's missed out a gimmick in between where he went to WCW for two years, but okay. Um, and he said, that is all I can think of right now. But then at the end, he said, um, oh, The Undertaker, of course. And I was like, what do you mean? Do you mean good or do you mean bad? And I'm going to give him first shout on this. Angry John said it was a bad change. He still had decent matches during that time, but it was a dumb AF gimmick. So that leaves us nicely. What? It's, well, the arguments are there to be made, so that leads us nicely into what we're going to talk about now. Um, and that is, of course, Undertaker's huge character change that was in about 2000, I think. Yep. And that yep. was Deadman Undertaker making coffins in his house with Paul Bader. All of a sudden, Biker Taker 
coming out to, well, first of all, Kid Rock and then Lump Biscuit and the next like sort of, I think it was five years, four years maybe until WrestleMania. Three years I think, yeah. How was it, it was less than that? Yeah, less um, than that. But that whole period of time, I wanted that to just- That song, You're Gonna Pay or something like that. That is a bagging like song, that. by the way. All the way through to when he would eventually come back as old school Deadman Undertaker against Kane at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. uh, I think. 22. Yeah, so um, that whole period of time, I, I literally, when, when we, sat down to start planning and talking about this show this is the one that i wanted to talk about the most and um, because i understand that everybody has completely different views on it angry john my best friend in the world has the complete polar opposite <laughs> view from me i will start us by saying i absolutely loved it i loved undertaker limp biscuit it was just the coolest thing in my eyes i think that the match that he had at wrestlemania 17 with triple h the first one the often not mentioned one was absolutely phenomenal and um, right the way through is um red beard heel gimmick with the hardcore title and all that as well but it's, it's not about me it's over to you guys and uh, Scott I'll come to you first tell me your thoughts because <laughs> is this am I right in saying that this is around the time when the retro reviews that Ross is doing is yeah he's already like, like covered I think Jimmy is the last one he was doing I think next up is King of the Ring so yeah he's we talked about uh, he's already talked about the debut of The Undertaker and I'm kind of the stuff I like about Biker Taker stuff I don't like. I think for me, he truly gets really good in a 2001 where he has a match with Triple H. He starts properly being a tag team with Kane where they win like both the WCW and WWE tag titles. They have that match for all the gold with the two man power trip. And then he turns heel and starts 2002, goes on that looking that veteran looking for respect, you know, big evil taker where he's got the shorter hair. He has a match with. Uh, with Ric Flair where at the end he does the whole thing where he counts these amount of victories he's had at Wrestlemania up into 10 and then he, he wins the Undisputed Championship which I think is a really underrated run probably underrated for the not talked about for the fact that he beat uh, Hogan with the weakest choke slam known to man well I said about that the better I know it was only, it was only taught when he fought Goldberg at Spurs Showdown last year yeah I, I, I feel like that's you, you summed up like one of the best periods of, mm-hmm. of wrestling for me, especially like I was about, I was between like 11 and 16 when this happened, so it was like prime wrestling viewing. But um, yeah, absolutely loved it. I, I I wonder if Undertaker as the dead man between like 90, well, you know how he beat Sid for the belt mm-hmm. at WrestleMania 13, 13 thank you. Between then and the actual change, I think his character went very, very stale and I think that the change was very, very necessary. But I'm not sure everybody, in fact, I'm fairly positive that a lot of people just hated this change. Well, unfortunately, I'm not one of those people, I actually Excellent, think. David. You're on the right side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like the fact that, you know, you know you're saying that you know, the gimmick was getting a bit stale because it had been going on for the best part of shy of 10 years by that so point Survivor Series 90 uh, sorry Survivor 1990, Series yeah. 88 am I right 1990 1990 yeah um, so yeah it was coming up to 10 years of being the Undertaker gimmick but this change up I think is exactly what he needed to sort of shake things up a bit because he'd been gone away with injury for a bit and this this returning revitalisation is probably what he needed and the thing about Mark Calloway as well the man behind the Taker is um well, you know he's at a fourth wall here and there. <laughs> yeah. His name's Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know he has a genuine love of you know being into motorcycles and being like uh, a pure Texan. So I think the fact you know he's sort of incorporating his hobby of motorcycles and that biker gimmick into his character, I think that's what was really beneficial for him because it's something that you know he in real life actually really enjoys doing. So in a, in a sense, it actually worked for him really well. 
like the the part I, I loved about it was that was around the time that I got into WWE was like 2002 2003 so that was the first version of Undertaker I knew so then I got to experience the magic of when he changed back to being the dead man mm. I was and the I same by the way yeah. which I think is probably yeah. why I think the way that I think like, the, the other thing as well and some people don't talk about this is that Taker actually got a bit of heat backstage when he came back not, not just backstage but even online because Taker was noticeably heavier when he returned mm-hmm. he was considerably bigger yeah yeah so, but then thankfully he slimmed down over the, the few years and you saw his work rate just go up like he was pulling off things that he wasn't going to be doing in 2000 and the first sign of that was the smackdown where like the invasion like the alliance comes out they start brawling in the outside and taker just decides hey you know what screw it and does the suicide dive onto them like <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. that was the first time in the 2000s taker did the suicide dive and it was one of those rare moments that when taker does the dive you're like oh that's a big one and that was the first one you pay attention to but going back to him coming back to being the dead man i just remembered kane like he gets buried alive survivor series and then the promos begin around like no way out like the dead will rise again i remember actually being so spooked just like what is i didn't know the undertaker could do this like me being that kid who was fully just absorbed in it and then he came out of wrestlemania and i'm like yes You weren't the only one to say that, of course, because the first thing we heard on his oh. intro was the Paul Bader, Bader call. Do you yeah. remember? Th- oh, yes! I was pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just about to say, I was like, I wonder if Daniel Thank you, will do the week. call. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, absolutely iconic. And for me, one of the... Because I love music and I love everything. The pomp and ceremony of things, especially when I had my Bring Back Pyro campaign onto WWE, which was very successful, I must add. Yes. <laughs> Thank oh, you yeah. very much. And was the performance that Limp Bizkit had at WrestleMania. Oh, how can I forget? Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just outstanding. amazing. Once with the fireworks, Fred Durst rapping, the people dancing, the, oh, and, and the American flag coming out the bank, the bank revving like mad, driving around like, oh, it was amazing. I loved it. I loved it. There's a deal, I just thought I'd throw this bit in. I heard this on another podcast. Boo, hiss. Um, the Limp Bizkit, specifically Fred Durst, only let the Undertaker used Roland as his intro music so long as Fred Durst became a playable character in whatever game they run at the time. Just Bring like, It. Yeah, Just Bring It or one of them, mm. which I think is a pretty sweet deal for <laughs> yeah, WWE. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he comes out doing the same dance from the Roland music video. Mm. Like it was, it's just the most random thing. Just like your lockable character. It's like, oh, what am I going to get? Am I going to get Shawn Michaels? Am I going to get like so-and-so? Fred Durst. <laughs> it, was a very, it was a very out there one, but if it made the deal work, then more power to it. Right guys, we're being too nice, we're being too nice. Give me the juice and the bits of it that you hated because so many people online and uh, mm. wrestling fans across the world absolutely despise this. Am I right thinking they're despising it because they want to be a bit of a purist more and keep the, the mystique of the Undertaker and that sort of stuff? I think it's a lot to do with that honestly, yes. I think I think a lot of them, a lot of people who were probably, I think when in WrestleMania 34 when there were rumours because Kid Rock was going in the Hall of Fame that he was going to perform Taker of the Ring when Taker would come back as yes. a well, I think that's when really he, I think he was meant to yeah. I, yeah. I think that's when we really got to see like truly like the kind of divide in the fans who liked it and mm. who didn't like it I think the people who have been watching for a certain amount of time hated didn't like it I think the thing was from 98 to 99 you talk about his character kind of being stale before the, the like reinvention 
I think they tried doing the Dead Man Undertaker in the Attitude Era, and they realised unless you go full weird campy with it, like the whole Ministry of Darkness thing and stuff with Kane, some more, more than not, it didn't work. So they realised we can't just do the same old Dead Man we've been doing. We need something different, and I think that's why this change is necessary. But I think if you've been watching him since he woke up, he debut as a Dead Man, this sudden change you're not going to like. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably a good point to leave the whole Undertaker discussion because we could probably have it again a whole show on just him because we're not even talking just about it's not as if he went from Dead Man, American Badass, Dead Man like there was all the different arcs of the first period of being the Dead Man where he was like actually making coffins in his house to like you know he was the Undertaker but he was like kind of doing promos and hanging out with people in the back and then like the character progressed so much before that and obviously it's progressed so much and changed in so many ways since we went away from American Badass as well but yes I thought that would lead us nicely into the next part of the conversation that is where I'm going to ask my panellists to sort of put forward some gimmicks that they just fucking hated (laughs) and uh, we're going to start with the man that has been silent for the last period of the show because he's just fizzing with rage and we're going to start with Jack Uh, I, I, I do have sincere hatred for this and I even have sincere hatred for what I've got written down Reach for the stars, climb every mountain high. Reach for the stars, follow your heart's desire. No, these aren't the lyrics from S Club 7. These are the words that came from Big Vinnie Mac when he pitched this gimmick to this character. And unfortunately for Cody Rhodes, dreams did not all come true when he became Stardust. Like, are you angry at S Club 7? Because that song's a tune. I am angry with myself for coming up with that. That's what I'm angry at. This, this, this is the slamming of the phone. <laughs> this is a really good uh, thing to talk about because not only is it like an important WWE one, but it led to an amazing non-WWE gimmick as well. So yeah, yeah, it was like I get there was always there was a time there was literally nothing for him. They had no thing, and he was like kind of vying to get back on telly, being like in a prominent role, and he must have just been told, well, be your brother's tag partner, but being that kind of wacky character asset and he probably just took it just to be on the TV and to give Cody credit he played it absolutely well but it was just fucking shit <laughs> it was just absolutely shit even like even the stuff it was like when they had like oh, I can't even mind the fucking guy for that what's his name Stephen Amell even they had that and then they had the Cosmic Kings and the Cosmic Wasteland they're fucking oh let us know how you really feel. So he's a fucking keep him on WWE main event, and that's it. Don't have him raw. I'm sorry. Panelists, <laughs> uh, panelists, yeah. jump in. What do you think? Oh, they it, there was no need for it. Like, because you know you had Cody and Goldust. They were over with anything. You know when they beat the Shield for the tag team championships and they essentially reinstated themselves as as main roster talent. Like they were over as anything. But it's just when you got to that point where, you know, Cody looked like he was, you know, sort of blaming himself for their tag team losses and stuff, and they think, I need to go away, and then Goldust is teasing this new partner. I think, it's still Cody. Like, he's he's just, they've done what, um, you know, Cody said, you know, Dustin, fantastic wrestler, but they made him look like an idiot and dress up in gold paint. Same with his dad. They made Dusty wear polka dots because they thought they'd be better as a comedy character. And Stardust did Cody no favours whatsoever, but credit where credit is due, he ran with it and tried to make it as best he could, but just, it didn't click with anybody really. Yeah, I mean, I think Cody had some faith in the game. You hear him in an interview talking about when it was actually pitched and the concepts they had for it. 
if they'd went with how Corey describes the original concepts, this could have been like this could have helped reshape his career for a few years because he compared the, the look of it as like a comic book style villain as a like cable from X Men. Because then you remember after I like, think the next WrestleMania he comes out in a Mister Sinister style get up, just still his star. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. A bit like so he, he wanted to implement a comic book element, which is also why he had that feud with Stephen Amell. But then he said like the fact that. As they said, they made him basically like Goldust. He said, you guys basically just want me to be Mini Dustin. So like, I think the fact that he, they didn't, instead of making him like Goldust and the fact he's got paint but just look completely different, they thought, what if we got Goldust to put a big star on his face instead of oh, his God. actual look? <clears throat> That's basically what we got. Yeah, let, let us not forget that it was actually doing this whole Stardust gimmick that Cody Rhodes himself actually got to feature on Arrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, of true, course, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I've only seen a tiny wee clip, but... Isn't he in like a fight and he can't die or something? Yeah, like it's, that. it's a prison fight, I believe. Yeah. Like, Sarah's the expert on the all things Arrowverse, so if Sarah was on here, she, I'm sure she'd be leaping at the chance to tell us about it. Yeah, so there is some positives, obviously. Got an Arrow, and also this kind of led to him leaving WWE, and this kind of led to him starting a whole new company, and it's kind of led to the coolest things happened in wrestling in like 20 years. It led to the Dark N- Order. NXT. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, that's uh, Jack, I'll give you the last word on it since he's your pick. So obviously. Sometimes you have, as the, the saying goes, you have to kiss some frogs to get your queen or king or whatever. We had to go through some amount of shite to get AEW. So, in a way, we kind of have to thank the Stardust character for the birthday. If you think about it in that kind of weird way, if there wasn't star, if there if there was no Stardust, there's no AEW. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. So, right, great shout from Jack. Uh, David, I'm going to come to you next. Yeah, you've got a good shout as well. I think. Uh, yeah, I've been sort of shaking it up a bit as well, like, trying to find, like, what was the worst change. But I look at, you know, there was a, a huge list of names we could have gone through, but one that really stuck out to me, which, it, I mean, it, it had legs to begin with, but, my God, did it go downhill so quickly. I'm talking about uh, Albert transitioning to <laughs> Lord Tensai. Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to say A-Train. I was like, I love the A-Train. But, yeah. You know, that's a good show. Well, A-Train, Albert, um, yeah. Lord Tensai. I mean, you see that the vignettes for him and stuff, you think, okay, this this could be something good here. And he, even in his first few matches, you know, he dominates, you know, being the the squashing powerhouse. He even had matches with John Cena and CM Punk and stuff. But one fluky pinfall loss to Tyson Kidd at one point, and then it just went downhill. You know, it's, it's like they just gave up on him in, in that moment. It's annoying because this is what for me, showed how different Japan is from WWE. Mm-hmm. So the whole reason this happened is because WWE wanted to capitalise on how excellent Giant Bernard was in Japan. And I think we've seen pretty much every wrestler that's come over from New Japan or any of the other uh, uh, Japanese wrestling promotions, they've all sort of fell on their arse in various different ways in WWE. And um, I can see it from both ways. WWE had to do something different from what he was doing in Japan or else it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. But also, like the gimmick that they gave him was just shite and then he ended up just every single match he was getting Albert A-Train shouted at him yeah where's your piercings yeah. nobody was buying it and stuff and you know the fact he was a big hairy bastard as well back in the day and the fact he shaved it all off and had this really nasty looking shoulder tattoo and stuff and he had was that thing on his face the, the Japanese letters was that yeah. paint or was that that was paint and you realise it was paint because he had a, a pretty long match with Orton and so imagine and he started to sweat and then suddenly all he sees these big black dots appearing on oh, the, the canvas yeah. I like how this is the thing that annoys you when he's literally named after a piercing on a cock. <laughs> <laughs> I 
very, very valid point, Flacco. Is that what it's called? In fact, they actually do. No, no way. Thank see, you. See, thank if, that, I, I see if that moment wasn't so pure, <laughs> I would say that it was staged. I, oh. Well, moving. Well, I wonder why, how you knew that, by the way. Chris, our regular listeners would know that was not staged, and that was genuine. Please let us know if you think Lord Tensai is that Pearson. <laughs> they actually did call him Prince Albert at one point, but um, yeah. like when you mentioned about the New Japan people coming in and having a bad gimmick change, it made me realise I'm changing my pick. Ooh! Ooh. Well, let's, yeah. come you, let's come to you now then. Right. So, I originally was going to go with Constable Corbin. I'm not a fan of the gimmick myself. I think he could have done something better with him. Love it. Like, <laughs> instantly, I think he could have been a world champion. Like, they could have done it. It should have happened already, in my opinion, but they didn't. But, there is no bigger New Japan screw-up with a gimmick than Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, I think you've got a really good point there, yeah. Because, Nakamura when he came in, that first match with Sami Zayn solidified they can do great things with him. He gets the NXT title a couple of times. They can do great things with him. They bring him up to the main roster. <laughs> and then WrestleMania 34 happens. Him and AJ go out there. Like you could tell they pretty much were kind of restricted in what they were allowed to do. Like they two had a classic at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. I haven't even watched it personally. I still know it was a classic. <laughs> like, that's how much of a classic it was. Everyone knows it was great. And then you just get Nakamura doing the big, like, you know, low blow, and, like, they wasted it afterwards. And then there's the, the whole... cracker from the East. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then there was the the Nakam- Nakamerica. Like, yeah. <sighs> absolute waste. Even the whole thing with Sami Zayn right now. Nakamura, as far as I'm concerned, like he should be in feature matches at pay-per-views, not relegated to, you know, just walking about with a cape. Like, sure, if they if they want to style it and make it look great for a grand entrance, fantastic, do that. But actually, have it mean something, because Shinsuke Nakamura is one of the best wrestlers on the planet, and WWE are wasting him. Like, yeah. It, some beautiful points to be made. I have to agree with everything you said because I've, I've literally hated Nakamura ever since he came to WWE. Um, like with the Rumble, I was I literally remember messaging my friend Scott and going, if Nakamura wins this Rumble, I'm going to stop watching wrestling. Because I was just like, if this is the future, because I'm not a fan of like strong style wrestling. Hashtag not a fan of WWE Network. <laughs> not a fan of people who can't cut promos. And I just was like, I don't want this to be the future of this company. So I was really, really happy when the, the push of Nakamura was just cut short completely at WrestleMania. But this is uh yeah, this is one that I feel is, is is quite important to talk about. Something that I always come back to as well is didn't he beat Brock Lesnar for the IWGP title at one point? Yeah. Or is it, did no, he not? He, at least he fought him for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if if yeah. he was a very big star in mm-hmm. Japan is basically what but, my point was. But he actually did beat Kurt Angle for the title like to win the title. <laughs> Yeah, like, or there's some weird unification. It's the uh, it's the the Anoki yeah, period of Japan that gets all. It's technically two versions of the belt, and they unified it by having Nakamura beat Kurt Angle. That so was it. Yeah, he's beaten a guy who's now who came back to read to go in the Hall of Fame. And Nakamura has beaten him, so he he has that type of like level of a star. Yeah, and it's the WWE end of Nakamura's career that we want to focus on. And I yeah, much like Daniel said earlier, I, I've just really not enjoyed it. It makes me really sad to be a wrestling fan, basically. Here's, here's the thing, I would happily watch 
Tommaso Ciampa and Shinsuke Nakamura main event a takeover every single time in the year. I'd happily send watch that because they two could put out a classic. Nakamura and Adam Cole could put out a classic. Like, even if they were to give us Sami Zayn and Nakamura for the IC title, but let them do it like they did at TakeOver Dallas in 2016, that would be fantastic. Like, there's that much great competition out there that it's just being wasted and it infuriates me to no end. As much as I appreciate all these great points, I don't like the, the turn of Nakamura, but I can't agree that it's a character revitalization mm-hmm. because he still came out with this cape, he still did all them kind of things that face, he's just a bit of a dick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and no, that's that's the only difference. So like, I, I get there's the points of like hating the heel turn, but I wouldn't go so far to stretch it as, as a character revitalization. It's not completely, it's not a complete kind of revamp. It's like what we've kind of spoke about with everyone else. No, You're correct. To, it's a failed to, one. I have to agree. You know, it's um, he didn't seem to undergo like a huge character revitalization. It was just a notable, a notable heel turn because he was still doing all that King of Strong style stuff in New Japan anyway. And he was—he still had that that aura and presence about him. You know, the charisma was just oozing off him. And that entrance at WrestleMania probably still one of my favorites to this oh, day. Oh yeah, that, that it, it brings up this whole other discussion that we just do not have time to get into. And that is the whole idea that when gimmicks—if we'd be really generic for a second—when when gimmicks transfer between companies, mm-hmm. i.e., Japan to WWE, and they attempt to do the same thing, and how badly just the changing company just doesn't work. So that, that's what I feel happened with. Uh, with Nakamura, um, right? Let's we're we've wandered outside the walls of WWE, so let us stay outside of there for a minute. Because Scott, once again, I think you're going to give us another TNA pick, which I feel we have to get to. To be honest, your point there about gimmicks wandering out of companies, wandering between companies, and like not working, it's almost a, as perfect a setup as I could get for this gimmick. <laughs> because I thought of this on the way here to record today, and I'm not, I'm wondering how many people are, remember this now. We've seen in wrestling and in forms of media of like television and films where a person plays a character for so long that even they themselves start to kind of hate the character that made them famous. They try to step out of the shadow of that character. And Mr. Dustin Rose has tried several times to step out of the shadow of the goldless character in his low moments. And his last big attempt at his worst came in 2007 when, as Dustin Rose, he returned to TNA wrestling and said he had this dark side of himself that no one had ever seen. This character built from the darkest corners of his mind Black Rain, <laughs> who is a black and silver version of Goldust, who he'd gained some significant weight at this time, so the whole black and silver thing that was made looked like his Goldust gear just looked like a big bin bag, and his wig looked like if he'd just taken a bunch of hair from the floor of a barber shop and stitched it all together, that's what this wig looked like. And he came out with Misty the Arctic Fox, which is the name he gave to his rat, and he basically he was only there to have weird gimmick matches with the likes of Abyss. And this was happened at his kind of lowest point, so thankfully he got himself like sorted out and came back to WWE as Goldust, and he's doing better in AEW. But this was that low point. That was, this is rock bottom for Dustin. Yeah, I remember this so fondly. There is a YouTube series which chronicles mm-hmm. the run of Black Rain and TNA and just how genuinely awful it was. <laughs> but um, yeah. David Daniel, what do you remember about this time? I just remember thinking how. It was actually depressing because you could even see it in his expression. Sometimes you could see he didn't—he didn't really feel it. Yeah, he yeah, could tell it wasn't working. Mm. But the problem was he was still being told go out there and do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't much remember much about Black Rain specifically because I wasn't really a fan of TNA. But 
one thing I do remember, it was kind of similar, I think it was in WCW, where he came out. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> I think, and he basically did a shoot promo on this because he just thought, nah, I'm not doing this. It is, I can't remember what the character's name was called, but. Seven. Seven, seven yeah. yeah. And he, he just came out looking, oh, he said himself, he kind of just looked like Uncle Fester from the Adams family. Yeah. And he delivered that shoot promo, and I'm thinking that's probably the most memorable thing I remember about that gimmick because he genuinely was not happy. I don't think it even lasted any past. No, that I think it lasted like two weeks, and that was it. And I'm not, I'm not going to let this pass without mentioning the fact that WCW genuinely ran promos of him standing outside little boys' rooms, yeah, yes. and watching them sleep. I think the whole thing was it was meant to be like some sort of like kind of like film, like a horror film, like a Pennywise deal thing of him coming in like manipulating children. But I think what? He's, he's not even lying. There's no it's, way it's, you could have put that in any good context. Like, I'm trying to the best I can, but like this shows how doomed this character was from the start. But I think what's, what a few people even know after this is he stayed in WCW for a couple of months and became just Dustin. And what's interesting is he went under the name The American Nightmare for a few weeks, which then a young Cody Rhodes sat at home watching his birth thinking, I might take a note of that. <laughs> and then forgot about it for another like 20 years. Thankfully, post Black Rain, he did manage to salvage his career as Goldust once mm-hmm. again, and now he's just doing amazing things in AEW. Which what's, what's weird is he's, he's a theme song as well. You always remember like the classic Goldust like theme song. His entrance theme in TNA was this weird like someone trying to fix a radio or something like that, and then just weird generic like theme generic instrumental theme song. Like like this, I'm not even excited by this. I'm not scared by this. Clearly, if you want me to be scared of this like version of Goldust, then you should have this like sinister themed in music. Like this just like, like it's just as half hearted as the entire run was. I feel like that is a beautiful place for us to leave this. I almost feel like we should have did the bad gimmicks first and then <laughs> ended on the good gimmicks, because now that we've come to the end of the show I just feel like going, ah, oh, wrestling shite I sometimes. Want, <laughs> I just want fucking home. Feeling <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> clean. <laughs> But yes, uh, just uh, quickly, uh, I'll give you a bit of warning that I'm about to do this. What I'll do is just to wrap up the shows, we'll go around everybody, get used to tell me what your favourite and least favourite gimmicks are in current WWE programming. So you can have any of the three, four, five, seventeen million shows <laughs> that currently happen in WWE. It's a difficult one because a lot of gimmicks nowadays are just basically this. It's a dude that's called this, and his name's like. Zach Stevenson and he's just his gimmick is <laughs> yeah. he's got long hair and he's a bit cool um, or you can even go outside of the WWE boundary as well Scott you're nodding to me so I'm going to come to you first oh, I think <laughs> right I'll let Quacky dive in because he's gone um, I'm torn between two for my favourite Street Profits or Bianca Belair ah that's good shit I think Street Profits have got something I'm not sure it's got they've got much. swag yeah, I'll give them like that. Everybody oh. can. And oh, nice oh. red cups. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't discuss the contents of those cups anyway. And the worst, <laughs> Bailey. Oh, um, interesting. I'm, I'm just not nah, Bailey. I'm sorry. Mm. No, nah, no. Nah. The haircuts pish. The, <laughs> the, the music is crap. Um, her just demeanor is a floater. Is no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you mean a flyaway? Uh, right then. Nah, sorry. Hey Daniel, what's your best and worst? Best, Velveteen Dream, worst, King Corbin. Oh yeah, we never got into that King Corbin chat. Next show, next show. I quite like King Corbin though, just not the dolphin bit. Oh yeah, that was really, really weird. I'd, I'd probably say uh, Daniel probably stole my one. Favourite, Velveteen Dream, least favourite, Short AG. 
Oh god, how can we forget Shorty? Shorty is This is the weird thing he does when he comes out with his hands. I'm like, yes, I'm that short. And look at my muscles, I'm short. Yes. What? It's like, I'm a discount tightest worldwide. Hey, David. My favourite's probably The Fiend. Like, just, it's awe inspiring. And then, worst one, I think Scott basically took, but I actually didn't think about it until you just said it. Shorty G. Because that's how much I want to forget about it. Absolutely. Man was lost once Jason Jordan found his da. It made more sense to beat his da, but you know. Yeah, it would, yeah. So, my favourite the now is either The Fiend or The Monday Night Messiah, Seth Rollins. I feel this has been his best. I said on the Raw Report, which should be out this week, that this current iteration is one of the best heel work that Seth Rollins has done in WWE. Yeah. I feel. But my least favourite gimmick right now, which I feel I might get a lot of hate for, because he's obviously one of the best wrestlers in the company, is Cesaro. No. Does he even have a gimmick? Yeah, yeah, no, I see. Exactly. Yeah. Because he's just, it's just wank. Everything that he's done in WWE <laughs> is absolutely wank. No, you know something? You would actually got a lot of supporters in that. Because obviously the bar, the bar was fantastic. His yeah. uh, tag team with Tyson Kidd was fantastic. But see anything he's done as a single, when there's any opportunity to be pushed, there's fucking nothing to him, and it's absolutely shit. I actually can't throw in one more and say something for our worst current gimmick, the Viking Raiders. No, what? Here, get them in. Here, no, no. Get them in the bin. No, I, I feel that, I feel that, yeah. I don't, yeah, it's, no, the, no, it's no. the Viking kind of aspect, oh, I'm not. The, like, the Viking is, experience, I don't know I what they are, like, oh, we like, we were you transpiration from Vikings. Really? Because I don't remember Vikings doing double, like, elevated power slams, or whatever, as you do, like, you, all you did in XT was come out and go, war! Like, you're fans but of war, why, what, is, what is that, to, how does that like, make me invested in you? Yeah. And they I come mean, out with these weird stupid like helmets and like chatting about, we're Vikings. I mean, here's the thing. Why should w- I care about Vikings? It's WWE yeah. product, they have to make it at least like, uh, you know, a little bit cheesy. Yeah, like they, they built their name around the world as War Machine. Then they came in and at least made them War Raiders. So they at least kept true to their origin. But then, yeah, we're going to bring you up, we're going to make you Vikings. Uh, I think it was it was the USA Network that asked them to change it because obviously NXT wasn't on the TV at the time yeah. and they couldn't have war being displayed as a team for someone to get behind. So I, I completely understand it, but like yeah, they even still do the thing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, kids don't know that. You know what I mean? Like, I how does this Viking expression make you better wrestlers? They haven't told us that. And we've Can not we... we've not heard from Quacko. What's your best? I said that already, Street Profits or Bianca Belair. Ah, oh, how could I forget? Wait, was Bianca Belair your worst? No, 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 no. It's worse than Bailey. Right, yeah. Because I really don't like Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair? He what? Yeah. The, do you know what? That's a good point to end the show. <laughs> Save yourself. Run. I will be running out the door. Thank you so much for tuning into this. Our brilliant and ever contentious character revitalization show. You give him one microphone, you let him host. And then this is what he comes out with. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to all of my wonderful panel guests. Something I promised you earlier on the show. I'm going to go around everyone and get them to plug their suplex retweet extra content. I'll start with Quacky. Yes, uh, I do a Bianca Belair show where she's in Albuquerque Graps, all about Scottish indie wrestling with my co-host Sarah Grieve, who's the boss. I have nothing on it right now, so I will say thank you for letting me be here. <laughs> Just say you like Alba Gugraps and I'm a big fan of Alba Gugraps. Good man, thank you. Can I, I live? 
<laughs> I currently co-host two of the best shows we have on Super 8 PGX show. Saturday Draft Live, <laughs> shut up. Saturday Draft Live, which Saturday Draft Live, which people say, oh, it's not one of the best, despite the fact everyone seems to want to be on it at some point. And me and Grant review monthly, we, we t- review everything that's going on in New Japan with East Meets West. Next episode is meant to come out, I think we're going to get to record it this weekend, because, God, these next few months for New Japan, they just feel there's little time to sit down and record, because every month there's something happening. Uh, we've got Wednesday Night Wars, uh, hosted by yours truly, where we look at the, the ongoing ratings war between AEW and NXT, and also uh, we co-host uh, 4-Way Fatal, which is me and Gary talking about everything NXT UK. The Raw Report has now turned into the People Show with Jack Graham and Ross McLeod. Yes! <laughs> Listen to us every week talking about wrestling, talking about Raw. We usually sidetrack on a fantasy booking and how we would have done it, but still, we get there in the end. More on the people. <laughs> Can I at least clarify, do you talk about the skunk in Eric Rowan's cage? Yes. Alright, okay. If that's not a teaser for that show, then I don't know what is. Thank you so much, Quacku, Daniel, Scott, David, Jack. I've been Chris Murray. This has been Character Revitalizations, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Listen, cunts, I don't care what the fuck you think you're doing. Whatever you think is more important with your life, you honking bag of d- tips. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online, you should be subscribing, you should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, whatever the fuck you're doing, that's what you should be doing. I don't care if it's your mum's birthday, I don't care if she's feeling contractions, get on it right now!